You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Uh, we want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. We're going to be opening up to Luke 23. So we've been in the series, Everyone, uh, and in this series, Everyone, we've been looking at these stories where Jesus um, engages with people personally, and he calls them by name and invites them to be in relationship with him. And so we've been looking at this transformation that's taken place uh, in the lives of these people that Jesus has, has invited into relationship with him. So we see Mary Magdalene, we see Zacchaeus, we're, we're looking at these stories of transformation and now we're going to look at the story of the thief on the cross. It's probably one of my most favorite stories because this shows that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let me read this for us, and then we're going to dive in. This is Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Got it? Say got it. Got it. All right. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me, when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, what a beautiful story of Jesus inviting this man to have a relationship with him. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we love you. God, it's so refreshing to open up your word this morning. Uh, just in the midst of life, God, how little time we can spend uh, looking at your words, looking at your promises, trusting and knowing that you are God. So often we can look at the problems in life and circumstances as so big and these obstacles that we can't get past, but God, you created all things. You are in control. So God, as we look at this story of a man who's in his last minutes, grasping for air, hanging on a tree, how he is invited to be with you, to enjoy you, to know you. So God, I pray that for each and every one of us today, whether we are professing Christian or not, that we too would receive this invitation to be known by you and to know you. Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so what do we see here? We see these three criminals, these three men that are condemned. They're condemned and sentenced to death, one of the worst deaths ever. And so uh, one of the things that someone said uh, a while ago that, uh, when I was at a conference, they were like, you know, we hang a cross around our neck, but that would be like a modern day uh, hanging an electric chair around our neck. Like the cross for us is this, this symbol of freedom that we have in Jesus. But for back then, this was a symbol of death, a symbol of torture, a symbol of murder, where, where a criminal would be 
uh, the worst thing ever possible, dragging his cross through the streets. And then they would, they would nail his, his hands and his feet into this wood and then stand it up and, and, and basically make them suffer or suffocate to death. Tortured, three men hanging there, condemned criminals. And what we know of these men we see in Mark 15 and Matthew 27. So when we talk about the thief on the cross or the robbers, uh, we don't see that contextually in this passage, right? We say it says one of the criminals and then the other criminal, but we didn't know what they did other than if we look at Mark 5 and Matthew 27 where it calls them robbers, these two robbers. And what we see is that, that Jesus is being mocked by everybody around him. So you have the scribes, the Pharisees, you've got the, the soldiers, you've got the people. They're all mocking Jesus, and they even hang this, this sign, King of the Jews, above his head. Um, and, and they even wanted it to be changed. to the, the, He proclaimed he was King of the Jews because they didn't believe him. They sentenced him to death because they thought he was blaspheming. They thought that he was making it up. And so everybody's rebuking him, and it even says that these two criminals are rebuking him along with everybody else. These two thieves, these two robbers, were mocking Jesus along with everybody else. And so they're all suffering, they're all in pain, they're all awaiting their death. And I think that something here is really important for us to understand, um, that suffering does something in every single human. You, me, everybody that we know, suffering is going to do something to us. It's kind of like an orange. If I squeezed an orange, what would come out of an orange? Orange juice, right? This, this isn't science 101. All right, orange juice, right? Lemon juice wouldn't come out. Apple juice wouldn't come out. Orange juice would come out because that's what's inside, an orange. That's what suffering does. When we are squeezed by suffering, something is going to come out. And that's what we're seeing here. There is something deep inside of us that, that begins to come out. For me, for the most part, a lot of times it can be my sin, right? My sin comes out. It's anger. It's hurt. It's bitterness. It's, it's uh, this victim mentality that we have in our culture. Woe is me. But then we see these two very different responses because of something that's happening deep inside of them. First, we see the selfish thief. Look at verse 39. He speaks first. Are you not the Christ, that word there, Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah? Now, he could be mocking Jesus at this moment. Are you not the Christ? Or he could actually believe that he's the Christ, but maybe a powerless Christ. Even in the book of James, it says the demons believe who Jesus is, and they shudder. They don't ascribe to him as their Lord and Savior, but they believe that. I mean, every demon, even the devil, knew who Jesus was, the Son of God. They spent eternity with him. So, so if we can wrap our minds around this, he could be mocking Jesus, being like, aren't you the Christ? I don't believe this. Like, save yourself. Prove yourself. Or he could actually be saying, yeah, aren't you the Christ? Do something about this, Jesus. Do something about my problems, my situation. Right? It's very self-focused. Why? Because he says, save yourself and us. This is not a surrender to a Savior. This is a plea, a selfish plea plea for selfish gain. Three of them hanging there because they're condemned of a crime. Now we know that Jesus was innocent, but they didn't necessarily know that. And what he's saying here is, Jesus, prove yourself to us. The, the theology that would coincide with this is the old carjack theology. Anybody know what that is? You know what a carjack is? Carjack theology is we're going to go to you when we need you when we're in trouble. 
like your car jack, right? A car jack is dirty. Uh, you, you take your car jack out of your car. Does anybody, even, who doesn't know where their car jack is in their car? Raise your hand. Be honest. Come on. This is a safe place, right? We don't even know where it is until we get a flat tire. Then we need it, right? Then we get dirty then we have to take it out. Then we have to figure out how the thing goes inside the thing. And then we're trying to do this thing, right? And then we don't even know how. Once, once we get the car jacked up, we don't even know how to use the other thing that gets the wheel off. Yeah. <laughs> That's car jack theology. Jesus, I'm in trouble. Jesus, I'm hurting. Jesus, things are broken. Now I need you. But hey, things are going good. You just kind of stay tucked away inside that little compartment that I don't even remember where it was. That's what this man is doing. Jesus, prove yourself. Jesus, if you're really who you say you are, you can help me. So do it. Help me out. Then we see a very different response from the second thief. Someone who just... Minutes later, is mocking Jesus alongside this guy? What happens? Something is changed and transformed inside of this guy. All of a sudden, this, this light bulb goes off where he goes, hold on a second. I'm hearing what you're saying. We're all jeering at him. But there's something else going on here. There's something bigger. This is, uh, this is in a narrative, would be called the symbolic character. Because what this character represents is all of us. Everybody in this room. The person that is, is representing something a little bit more than what we're reading on the pages. So at some point, something shifts, and we're not told why or how, but all of a sudden, there's no bargaining anymore from this surrendered thief. He's not trying to uh, make amends. He's not trying to figure, hey, Jesus, if you can save us from this, if you can help me out, I'll do this, this, and this for you. Ever play that game with God? God, if you can just, you know, make this deal go through, I'm going to give you 50%. Well, 40%. All right, 35%. God, if you can just make this deal go through, and things start looking up, God, I'm going to give you that 25%. I promise. But no bargaining from this man. He's not trying to play a game. He's starting to recognize that there's more going on here. And what does he say? Look at verse 40. But the other rebuked, um, but the other rebuked, now the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, we're all pending our death. You know that your time is coming to an end. We indeed justly hang here for our crimes. We're receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man, this man's done nothing wrong. And then what does he say? Jesus. Speaks to him by name. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's happening here? Well, first, he admits his hopelessness. He admits his hopelessness. He realizes and recognizes that even in his death, he's hopeless. There is nothing more. Like he, he went, spent his whole life stealing stuff. Spent his whole life trying to gain something. And he realized it was all for a lost cause. And now I'm sitting here pending my death. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. And he just admits it. God, Jesus. I hang here condemned. I'm hopeless. 
And then what does that lead him into? That leads him into recognizing his own guilt. I don't deserve you to save me. God, you're, you're hanging here innocent. I'm hanging here condemned. You are perfect. I am unholy. I don't deserve to even be speaking to you right now. There is this humility that falls over this man as he looks around, as he hangs there, gasping for breath. What does he do? He surrenders himself to the king. He surrenders himself to the king. God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right there in that moment, realizing and recognizing that Jesus, Jesus may stop breathing. His eyes may close. But there's something more that awaits him. Now, does he get how it all works? No. Did he sit through a, a four-week membership class? Nope. Was he baptized? Only by the blood coming down off of his hands and feet and head. Wasn't baptized. Doesn't know what omnipotent and omniscient and sovereignty. Start throwing all these theological terms out. All he knows is that lay before him is a king. So he surrenders himself. He goes, whatever happens, remember me. Remember me. So now, what does Jesus do? There's this man named Jesus hanging on a cross, condemned next to these two men, breathing his last breaths as well. And look at verse 43. And some of the most profound words I've ever read in Scripture. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, I love that word truly. You want to know what the Greek word is? Who's, who likes when I say Greek words? Because this is profound to me. A M E N. Anybody know what that spells? Amen. Let it be so. Truly. Let what I'm about to say. Be so. I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, I think one of the tools that the devil does is tries to get us hung up on nuances. So one of the most debated things in Scripture is one of the most profound things that we can read in Scripture People are like, oh, what does he mean by today? Oh, is it right now when he dies? Is he right with Jesus? But Jesus is in the tomb for three days. What's going on? Right? We can get so caught up in these nuances. But here's what we need to know. That this word today, semeron, it's a present word. It's complete in itself. It's actually the same word that Jesus uses when he's talking to Zacchaeus in Luke 19.9. Zacchaeus stands up and he says, God, I am going to right all my wrongs. I'm going to give back to the people I've stolen from fourfold. I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come upon this house. When you read that, in that order, it looks like all these works that Zacchaeus is about to do then saves him. But that's not the context of Scripture. You can't pull a thing out of Scripture and not see the whole context. 
And you have to look at some original text to understand truly what the, the tenses are. Because when he says that word today, Simeron, he actually is talking about earlier today when Zacchaeus came down out of the tree and salvation came upon into his life. When salvation came upon him, then there was works of fruit that came out of his life. Those fruit did not save him. That word today is the same word there that he, Jesus uses here, Simeron, which meaning today, completeness, right now, in this moment, salvation is coming into your life. Salvation is pressing down deep. See, it really depends on where you put this comma. Truly I say to you, comma, and then if you erase the comma and you say, today you will be with me in paradise, and there's no comma there, well then it kind of sounds like today, like right now. But if you put the comma on the opposite side of today, then it's today, comma, you'll be in me in paradise, and it seems a little bit more complete that way. Oh, that's super confusing. Well, guess what? There's no punctuation in Greek. All of a sudden, when we're translating things, we put commas and periods and things and places that we don't, like the numbers, like the text right here where Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, that's inspired. The comma and the punctuation and the verse number, we added that. So we have to understand when we're reading these things not to get caught up on nuances but to hear what Jesus is actually saying. What is he saying? You, you will be with me in paradise. That's what he's saying. He's saying because salvation is now given to you by me, you will be with me. So what is he doing here? In just these words, one, he's securing pardon. He secured pardon for this criminal. See, a criminal deserves his punishment. When you commit a crime, there is a verdict and there is a punishment. And in order for you to be before the king, there needs to be a pardon. You need to be forgiven, abolished of your guilt and your crimes. And so he is securing his pardon. Well, how is he doing that? He's doing that by replacing his judgment. I love the, the old analogy where it has a courtroom scene going on. There's a courtroom, and you put yourself in this position. You are the criminal. You are standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, sitting up on a bench, looking at you, and he's looking at you saying, you are guilty. You are going to be sentenced to eternal damnation in a place called hell. And so he takes this gavel, and right before he slams that gavel on top of his bench, what happens? Jesus bursts forth, from the back doors, and says, hold on a second, wait. And everybody looks up, and he goes, take me instead. I will take the punishment. Let him go free. That's what we're seeing here. He's securing his pardon by replacing his judgment. He is, he is going before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's saying, take me instead. And he's giving salvation to this man not based off of a membership class or a super awesome profession of faith where he checks a box and walks up front and kneels down and, and does the, the three steps to get into a life group. But in that moment, because of Jesus' life, his death, and coming resurrection, he is securing something for this man that he's never experienced before in his life. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom from everything he's done in the past. Freedom from everything he's thinking in the future because he's still being squeezed at this moment. His death is still pending. 
I'm sure his sinning didn't stop in the moment where all of a sudden Jesus says, it'll be me, me in paradise. And he's like, oh, great. I'm not going to sin it. I'm sure that there were still things going through his mind that could have been sinful. And every single moment until the last breath, Jesus was securing his pardon by replacing his judgment before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what is he doing? Preparing a seat for him at the table. I love this. Today you will be with me. Today you will be with me. Not today you will be in a cushy chair sitting in front of a TV. Today you will, you will be with me where there's you know, streets of gold and mansions and all that stuff. Too often we can think of heaven as this place where we can get all of our selfish desires and fulfill those things. No, no, no. Today you will be with me. That's the point. That if we profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we get Jesus. That's what we get. And I don't know about you, but if you can think of a banquet hall, think about how God says he's preparing for us a meal, that he's going to invite us to come sit at his table and dine with him, right? Think about every believer in the course of all of history that is sitting at that table with you, right? Can you picture this in your mind? How long is that table? The billions of faithful brothers and sisters that have gone before us, sitting at a table, enjoying a meal together. You got Moses and Abraham and Jacob, right? You got David. You got some pretty cool people at that table. Where do you place you at the table? Where do you place Jesus at that table? Because often we can begin to place Jesus at a place where he's way down at the other end at the head of the table, and we're way down at this other end just doing our own thing with our, with our own peeps. Do we forget the attribute of God that we see all throughout Scripture? He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And he is everywhere here with us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But in heaven, he is also everywhere. And so when he prepares a seat for you, you are going to spend eternity with him, engaging with him, enjoying him. That's the beauty of heaven, not the streets of gold. The streets of gold mean nothing. The thing we value most is going to be the thing we walk on and spit our gum on. Can we understand how amazing and how beautiful this is? That in these words, today you will be with me in paradise means for every single one of us. That we get to, for all of eternity, enjoy our Savior, our King, our Lord. Amen? And so how does this relate to me? My story your story. It's this man's story. There is nothing that anybody here has done to earn God's favor. None of us have accomplished anything in our lives to make God go, oh, look at Chris. I'm going to save that one. Nothing. But I, you ever hear that? You ever say that? But, but, I, but, but I, but God, I've served like every week this, this month. But I, but I, I put a, I, I put a thing in the offering, but I, like the robber, I'm just a guilty thief in the presence of a king. And there's a seat for every single one of us, no matter what you've done. I know one of the biggest tricks of the devil 
is to continually tell you that you're not good enough. To continually tell you that he doesn't want to hear from you right now. Anybody suffer from addiction? Ever give in to that addiction? And then you start hearing, you can't talk to Jesus right now. He doesn't want to hear from you. He doesn't want to, he's, he's disgusted by you. Don't, don't get on your knees. Don't open your Bible. You're not going to be able to hear anything. Do you, do you, do you hear that voice? Because that's not the truth that we see in Scripture. That is a lie from the devil. Because God in Scripture says, you are invited as a son, as an heir, as a brother, and he wants to spend eternity with you. So in the midst of your addiction, he's calling you saying, come sit at my table. In the midst of your hurts, your habits, your hangups, in the midst of your bitterness, in your anger, come sit with me at my table. Because here I will give you rest. So how does this impact my life? We trust and we enjoy. We trust and we enjoy. In the moments where life is squeezing us, maybe because of what other people have done, or maybe because of what we have done, you ever do anything you regret? You ever have anybody do something to you that you still hate for? In every moment that we are being squeezed, when the devil brings something up inside of us, I was sitting over there during the first set of worship with a song that I sang 15, 20 years ago. Like, my God is mighty to save. Just remembering all these moments that I've experienced the Lord and the devil just started flooding me with all of these sins from my life of that time. And I'm sitting here going, I'm not worthy to even get up there and talk about this stuff. That's what he does. We're being squeezed. But when we're being squeezed, we have to remember that what is inside of us is the spirit of God. The power of God that he can overcome. That he has overcome. That he has secured a place for each and every one of us, no matter what we have done so when we're being squeezed, we need to trust. That's why scripture memory is so important. That's why we need to know this word. You can't recall a verse that you've never read. When you read it and you memorize it, when the devil begins to squeeze and he says, you're not worthy to get up there. No, I say, no, I have a king that stood in my place and took that condemnation for me, devil. I have a king that stood in my place that has forgiven my sins. So yeah, I and of myself may not be worthy, but he is worthy. He is worthy because he is worthy. He has made me worthy because he has covered me with his blood. That is the God that we believe in. That's the God that we trust and that's the God the thief trusts in. He looked, God, Jesus, just remember me. Just please remember me. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And then enjoy. This is something we need to enjoy day in and day out. The gospel is not a one and done thing. It's not a get out of hell free card. We need to enjoy the goodness of the Lord because he is good. And he is the only thing that will bring us true satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives. The only thing. So when you're wanting to run to your addictions or your hurts or whatever those things are and go into those deep holes that we can get ourselves in, we have to remember that the only thing that will get us out of that is the enjoyment of our Savior, the Word of God, and just pressing into who He is. You know, often I, I spend a lot of time in our community. I go to different coffee shops. I 
engage with people a lot. I have a full-time job outside of this church. I'm a realtor. I spend a lot of time with a lot of people. And I think sometimes Christian can be some of the most depressing people to be around. When you're spending time with them, you're like, hey, man, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. Life, life just hasn't been better. Man, you probably should inform your face about that. Like, come on. Like believers, the joy that comes out of our hearts and our minds and our lives. Yes, I know our personalities are different. Some people are super animated and some people aren't. But there is a joy that comes from pressing into the, good, the things of the Lord. There is a joy that comes into to spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer, spending time worshiping our Creator, spending time singing praises to His name, spending time in community with other believers. There's a joy that comes out of that, a fulfillment that comes out of it because God is our fulfillment. So we trust in Him and we enjoy Him. And it's those things that will then impact the world around us. You know, we look at this and say, well, you know, the thief, he didn't really get an opportunity to go out and evangelize. He didn't get an opportunity to go out and make disciples like, like, like you know, most people do. Really? Because what are we talking about right now? Him. And a few words that he said that changes our whole perspective of who Jesus is and what he has done. Yeah, but I'm not good with my words. Doesn't sound like he was. He wasn't educated. He didn't go to seminary. Jesus, remember me. Those words right there, when you're sitting with your coworkers or your friends, family members during the holiday season that's coming up, the only story you have to share is your testimony, your story, the story of grace that God has given you. I have a God that knows me by name, and he invites me to have a seat at his table to dine with him, and guess what? Craig, he's invited you too. Ed, he's invited you too. Holly, he's invited you too. Come, sit, dine, trust, and enjoy. Can I pray for us? Father, thank you for this word. God, I, I trust that you are stirring right now in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Such a good, good story for us to have recalled and to know. And I pray, God, that we would trust in you and know you and love you with all of our heart. In your name we pray. Amen.